Welcome to Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. On the show, we will get to know artists, entrepreneurs, and coaches living life in their truth after experiencing an awakening. We'll talk about their journey, wisdom, and any tools they've learned along their path. Thank you so much for being here. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. And before we get into this week's episode, just want to give everybody a quick plug. If you need help uh, with your own podcast and you think that would be something that you can connect with your listeners, you can shoot me an email over at info at vibequeenmusic.com. I can help you set up your podcast from beginning to launch and get you all set up. But without further ado, we'll get into this week's show. I'm super excited to have Ben Wilson on the show. He hosts a show called Conversion Marketing Radio, interviewing business owners and marketers which have successfully turned into partnerships. Um, He's also going to be co-hosting an up-and-coming podcast called Win With Wit, which we'll definitely talk more about. Ben is also the co-founder of a company called Comedy, spelled with a K, and they help develop humorous content and ads with their platform of over 300 comedy creators who help brands go from boring to interesting. So welcome, Ben. How are you feeling today? So good. I'm excited to be here on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I know we connected on a new platform called Clubhouse, uh, which if you guys are listening, if you aren't familiar and you have an iPhone, you should definitely get on that uh, platform. I've it's met like crack cocaine for entrepreneurs and market all types of people. <laughs> it's super addicting. You think you're going to be on it for 10 minutes and a couple hours go by for sure. I've taken more notes from that app than I have in courses or live events. And there's so many gold nuggets that people will drop and it's free. It's crazy the amount of people that are on and the the information that they share and opportunities to meet cool people like you. And, I, and I'm so grateful that you decided to come on here. And the thing that really resonated with me because you're in the make people laugh business, but what really uh, stood out to me is that you were very vulnerable in the chat. And that's really what I noticed with a lot of people, especially with the smaller groups, is that people just let loose and share their story. And it's not really about likes and follows and how many people are already following you. It's just a matter of who you are and you have a chance to really shine. And so your story really stood out to me. So I would love to just kick it off with that. And just uh, if you could share with us what your awakening journey was like and what led you to starting a career in making people laugh. My gosh, I do. I love that group. That was such a cool group and a really cool experience in the very first 24 hours of hopping on that app. That room headline was something about creating an authentic business. And that resonated with me so much more than create that the other rooms of like how to create a million dollar business. Cause going back, I had started a business in 2017 where I'd shoot my shot like Babe Ruth. I'd called it out and said, okay, we're going to make a million dollars in our first year. And I was very focused on the money side of it. And so I forgot about my passions. I've put aside the reason why I wanted to get into business, which was to help people and to help them grow themselves and to help them to continue helping others, right? Like a, like a ripple effect. And I lost my way over that course of the year. And I was so focused on money that by the following year, when I had said, okay, I'm going to make a million dollars by, uh, I think it was like September of 2018. And I, we were far off of our mark. And now we had a good business. So we had clients, we were making money, we we're making a good amount of money, but it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I also, we were hearing results back from our clients that it wasn't working out the best for them. And so we felt like every single month I was trying to convince them to stay on so we could continue growing. 
but ultimately lost a lot of who I was in that process and felt like I was taking it very personally of that our services weren't what I wanted our clients to, to be experiencing. And that kind of was this big demise. So my business partner ends up getting a job. My wife had a, had a job offer in New York City and we were living in Denver at the time. And she has always wanted to live in New York. And so she went off and she got her dream job in her dream city. And we just weren't in the position to move together at the same time. And so it felt like everything was falling apart. I wasn't making the money that I wanted to. My business partner uh, had moved on. My wife was no longer there. And I started to, when you get inside your own head of when problems are happening and that more problems get created and more problems. And so you start only looking at all the negatives. And I love seeing my wife go off and live her dream. And so I was like, how there's something inside of me that wants to find my dream. What is my dream? Is it really just to make money? Is that all that I have is just to come to earth and pay bills and right. move on? <laughs> is that it? And uh, I feel like before you find something great, you have to know exactly the hardship of it. And I faced not only the financial hardship later where I just stopped answering phone calls from clients. I just let the business just die and I wasn't making any money. I was all alone <laughs> and I started watching comedy specials in the basement, just in the dark. I didn't feel like I wanted to have any lights on. And part of that in and of itself was this dark moment of my life where I started questioning everything. Do I question like I'd grown up in a religious household, grown up with uh, my dad being like a pastor of a church for most of my life. And even myself going and doing like a religious mission, but started to ask, what do I believe? If I'm going to be here and I'm going to be alive, what is it that I am going to believe in? And so I started going way back. Instead of just questioning, do I believe the or the religion that I grew up in? It started to go back to, do I believe everything that I've been told? Do I believe that there's a God and is there a God? And if there is a God, what do I believe in this God? Do I have a relationship with him? Does he, does he care about me? Do I matter? And so these were the thoughts over and over. And so I started wondering what really pushes me? What, if I'm going to live, what am I going to live for? Mm. And that was the big question that I asked myself. So if you want a new answer, you have to ask a new question. And that was that new question mm. of if I'm going to live, what is it that's going to get me up every single day? And I, in the same time watching these comedy specials, I became fascinated with how these guys were able to tell a story and to get the audience to believe the story. It could be completely false, but there's some inkling of truth behind every joke or every story that they're telling. And that's what gets you to go on this roller coaster with them. They can weave you in and out of the story. And I realized growing up as a marketer, I started my first business when I was 16 and fell in love with the idea of business and marketing. And I started to piece together the way that a comedian thinks about telling an audience some piece of material is the same way that a marketer thinks about uh, getting someone to watch an ad and to believe that the product that they're selling can actually benefit them. And so both pieces started coming together, but I would not have had that unless I started asking new questions, being forced into a spot that was uncomfortable and uh, do you mind if I swear? Like it was shitty. It was such a shitty position to be in, but those dark moments 
I became grateful for. So what happens from there, the spiritual awakenings, I realized one, I don't have a routine. I was waking up every single day and just going directly to work, expecting to create miracles and not realizing that what you have to do is you got to make your bed. You've, you've got to eat the right things. You've got to exercise. You've got to start doing little things each day to get into the mindset to create bigger things. And as you do those small things, you reward yourself for those small things, you're able to really understand what a big thing and what's going to take to accomplish that. So yeah. since you grew up in a religious household, what I've often seen is a theme is whatever was really pushed into your life as a child, often you rebel against. Do you find that's that was the case for you? Is that what would cause you to question these things? Or was it just because you were going through this depression that reignited you questioning those things? Or can you bridge that for us? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if it was active rebellion. Definitely earlier in my life, there was active moments of rebellion where it was, regardless of what was said, I just did the exact opposite. And at this time felt a bit different. It felt more authentic that what I was seeking was to understand myself. And there's a book by uh, Mel Robbins, the five second rule. There's the whole part about five seconds and five, four, three, two, one launch. But there was a part of it that was, you can't help someone else until you're helping yourself. And I, that was like this more of an awakening there where I realized I am not helping myself because I don't know myself. And if you think of it like a, from a marketing standpoint, in order to help someone like your audience, you have to understand who your audience is in order to mm -hmm. sell them something that's going to help them. And I, I'm my own audience in this situation. And I did not understand who I was. I didn't understand. There were moments where I questioned things earlier on in my life, but nothing to this degree where I wanted to understand. Okay, I got to lay some sort of foundation where I can say, I do believe this, but I might not believe these things. But it's okay if I don't, if I'm questioning certain parts, as long as I have some sort of foundation. And so my first part was, I do believe that there's this higher power. That was like, I can recognize that there's, mm -hmm. there's things that happen in this world that I'm not sure about. And for the most part, I'll just call it God for now. Cause that'd be the name that I can attach this higher being to. Right. And I was like, okay, I can believe that. And then from there I started doing the same thing with each and every belief and putting it into, I do believe that, or I'm not sure about this. And started to at least try to lay down a certain foundation. And I think it wasn't necessarily rebellion that led me to it, but rather what I had believed earlier and trying to just piece together what I had taught at, like on my religious mission to other people, what I had learned from people of, of all faiths, whether they do believe that there's a God or not. And then seeing that there's this... There's a part where we can love every single human being and that part of that higher creation or that higher power is love. And so that became this foundation of I can love any human being knowing that we're the same creature and that that is what I can believe in. Wow. That's incredible. Did that awakening for you happen in an instant moment? Was it gradual? I'm always curious to hear that aha moment. So for you in the basement, you're watching these comedy specials and you're feeling depressed. Like how did that unfold for you? Was it just one day you woke up and it hit you? I oh. wish life worked a lot more like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
yeah, it was a lot more of a gradual process. And I think a lot of life is, it's a lot like the ocean where it's there, but it's always moving to some degree. There's always some sort of flow that's happening. And I think sometimes the tide rises and it pushes really hard in one direction. And that kind of naturally will come gravitate backwards. So during that really depressive spout, there were these highlights, these moments where it felt like there was a change happening. But then right the next day, it like shifts back. And then something new might happen. That tide rises and it shifts to it for maybe an hour or two hours. And I start to think about things differently. But then you go back to sleep, yeah. it shifts back. And so over time, I think it's gradual, but there are these single moments that do stand out. So the first one was that question of, if I'm going to live, what am I going to live for? And mm -hmm. that was one big, massive struck. And then I didn't do anything with that thought. I started writing down some ideas, probably never gone back through and looked at those notes from that night. And then maybe a couple days later, I was watching another comedy special, something else popped into my mind. And the next thought was, if I'm going to help someone, how can I actually help someone? Like, not just what can I give to someone, but what can I pass on? What can I learn from someone else? But, and then what can I, what's part of me that I can leave with someone? And I think we're all made out of pieces of other people. Like mm -hmm. some people drop certain nuggets and it just sticks with it. The good shit sticks. And this one uh, statement of that I can, essentially I can be with someone else without being someone else. And I can be along with their journey by just dropping something of value. And then this next highlight popped out into my head and it was, there are 7 billion people on this planet. And if every single person knows at least one thing that I don't know, that means that I don't know 7 billion things. And that was this next, wow. like, bah, wow. I, and I was humbled. Like I don't, I thought that I knew a lot and then realized I don't know a lot. I, at least I don't know seven and a half billion things. If they all have something that I can piece together within me. Wow. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, taking that in right now. That's huge. Yeah, that's perspective. And it's so funny because I feel like you and I have had a very similar epiphanies. Uh, when I was going through major depression after my divorce of a relationship of 11 years, I had the same kind of decision, pivotal moment of, okay, if I'm going to live, why am I living? And I had the outlook of, okay, you can look at life two ways. You can look at it as, okay, what's the point? We're all going to die. What's the point? or we're all gonna be here for a short amount of time. I might as well do something with it. What can I do? So you have these two really extreme ways of looking at it. So I had a very similar kind of epiphany that you had of like, all right, I'm gonna be here. What am I gonna do with it? So it's very interesting how the more I talk to people that have had like this awakening journey, we all come to the same <laughs> conclusion and then find what we are passionate about and figure out a way to bring that to others. And so for me, it's definitely talking and music. And then for you, it's, it's comedy and I guess talking in a way as well with your podcast. So it's really fascinating. Something I, I noticed when I was just reading up on you is that you have read over 200 books when it comes to marketing and sales and psychology and all of that. And I, I find that a lot of people tend to go down the self-help rabbit hole which I went down for quite a few years, especially when I was in real estate in New York. And sometimes you can get trapped there. 
and you don't take action. You just, okay, I need the next course or I need the next thing. So what advice would you give to those that are listening that maybe where we were in, in the basement, maybe, and they're like, okay, I want to get out of this. I want to take action, but I don't really know how, or I don't really know what the next step is. So what advice would you give or what did you do to get out of the basement? Yeah. So I was in that basement for five months. So it wow. wasn't like depression came and was like, Hey, we're going to sneak up on you for a week. No, it was five months of feeling and trapped, feeling very closed. And one thing that stood out to me was that if I could get some small wins, some small things that I could do, I might lead to the next thing. And so about probably two and a half months in every day, I started making my bed. Whether I got out of it, I would get out of it, I would make it, and then I would get back in it. But it was something. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. And then the next one was like, I'm going to shower every day. And I know that sounds so stupid, but when you're also depressed and you're just wearing that's, the same pajamas and like, okay, I'm going to get out of bed, I'm going to shower. If I do that, I'm calling today a win. And then the next day. And so, each and every time you start to do these small things, you realize I could do something else small. So then I started going on a walk like for five, 10 minutes a day over that over time, each little thing started picking up a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's the small stuff. You're not going to go from like zero to a hundred. You're not going to go from depressed to figuring out exactly what it is that you want to do. You have to do is you, you got to get out of bed. And then you got to eat something. And if you can choose to eat something healthy versus something processed or that's not good for you, choose the healthy thing. It's You're going to notice some effects. It's not going to be immediate, but over time, you'll realize that's helping. I then, when we, so eventually we moved to New York. So I eventually, we sold enough stuff to pay for the move, to pay for, you've known New York, right? It costs, Ooh. you're going to pay your first month's rent, your deposit, your last month's rent. It's 10 grand to just get the keys to a 300 square foot apartment. So you pay for the neighborhood, not the space. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As we're in a shoe box and I had picked up enough daily habits. So I picked up the making my bed and starting to want to do something more. And so one day I went for a run. I went for a run and just said, I've never ran more than a mile in my life. And I was like, how far can I go before I feel like my legs feel like they're going to fall off? And it wasn't very far, but it was four and a half miles. And I was like, it shattered this belief. I've never run more than a mile in my life. And now suddenly I've ran four and a half miles and I didn't think I could do it. And so the next day I was like, what if I hit five? Like I was so close to five. What if I just do that? So I do it. And my, suddenly my world just gets shattered. Like something I never thought I could do. That's irrelevant to you know, starting a business or marketing or growing anything else, but realizing, Hey, you can do something more and you're, you're limiting what you actually can do. Mm -hmm. And that was this big, like another burst in that gradual process of growth. And so I'm like, okay, so then I take a break because I felt like a flamingo flip, like my knees were bending backwards. <laughs> it was like, okay, I got to take a week. And so the next week I was like, hey, what if I do six miles? And so I just kept doing that. I do the six miles and then that broke my world again. And I was like, what if I do seven? What if I do eight? And then one day I was like, what if I do 10? Wouldn't that be so crazy? And I just stayed out there in the cold. I was running the East River back and forth, up and down. And 
I hit the 10 miles. I'm like, I like snot running down my face wow. in the middle of winter. I'm like my, the only one out there just crying. And the, in the same time, I also picked up from Brendan Burchard, why you need to talk nice to yourself. And so important. I was starting to say this on my run. You're no longer a quitter. The person who used to quit is back behind you. He took the step behind you. You're a new person with a new step in front of me. And I just kept repeating that same mantra. Like you're no longer a quitter. The person who quits is behind you. You're in front of you. And I ended up actually running my first half marathon five weeks after I started running. So going from one mile of never like wow. running to, hey, I think I could do something more and I did a half marathon. And that was just like, if I could do this, what else could I do? What else have I been not playing to my best? What else have, have I limited myself in thinking? And that was this big transformation of pushing myself in one area helped me to start pushing myself in so many other areas. Wow. That's amazing. That's just incredible. I'm just completely floored by that. Is there anything else that you've done within your life that kind of shattered your limiting beliefs that once you did that, it allowed you to take action in other areas that it spill over? I'd say, so I know you're, I don't know if this can shift into that morning ritual, the morning routine, mm -hmm. but starting a morning routine was one that I had heard like millionaires doing it and people saying, if you want to be successful, you have to have a morning routine. And yep. It's hard to know when you've never had a morning routine, what to put in a, a routine where right. you're like, would it, it can get overwhelming quickly. So it started with making my bed. That was an easy one. And then I started meditating for the first time ever. And I'd never meditated. I've been in a religious growing up where you don't meditate, you pray, but prayer was a similar concept. But instead of asking for something, I thought, what can I be thankful for? It was a, such a sh tiny shift, but enough of a shift that I thought, I'm just going to be grateful in my meditation. What can I thank for today? And started to find like little things that I could write down. Like I'm grateful for hot water. I don't have to go two miles and carry this water in my head and come back to a boiler and put that on the boiling fire to get hot water. Like get with a tap turn. And those little things ended up being really earth shattering of realizing I have so much to be grateful for that I am only looking for the bad in my life and I'm not looking for the good. And so meditation became this part where, and I don't do long meditations. I, I do these mini meditations. I do uh, three mini meditations a day for three minutes each. And that's it. So anytime I'm about to start something new, I'll do one in the morning. I'll do one right before I go back to work after lunch. And then another one about five o'clock going to like my evening work session. And I noticed that just that in and of itself was the, it doesn't sound like a lot. Like we all have 10 minutes to spare. If you don't have 10 minutes in your day, like something's very wrong <laughs> with your life. Like figure out how to get 10 minutes in your day. And I just broke it into three minute segments. That was a big part. And then another big shift happened in, so I, after my business was ending, Patient Rainmaker was that one. And we're like starting to shut it down. I applied for 75 jobs at startups and heard back from basically none of them. Wow. So my confidence in myself was like, Hey, I've got a degree. I've got all this experience. I've made millions of dollars for different companies over the years. I've helped. I've worked in fortune 500 companies on a top executive level, helping them. And I can't seem to get like a low paying job in New York city. And that, that initially weighed on me. And I, 
had to do something where I, I started just consulting and started just coaching for free. I was like, I'm just going to do the thing that I want to do and help small businesses and help them make money and not charge anything and just start meeting them. And over time, it was like I started making a little, I'd make a connection over here, make another connection over there and started to pay for my cost of living. I'm just going to take action and I'm, I'm just going to do the thing that I want to do. She had started a company called Bonmo with another co-founder. She wasn't having a, a good successful time with this other co-founder. They just didn't see eye to eye of where they wanted to go. And her and I clicked. She is so brilliant, so smart. And I was just feeling blessed to just have an opportunity to hang out with this person. We later ended up starting comedy together and I still feel blessed. She's so smart. And I'm like, how did I get an opportunity to work with such someone who is so smart and so unique in their own talents? And I, you start to come back to yourself and you go, look, I've got, I've, I do have things to offer. I have a different perspective and I've got to be humble, but at the same time, like I have to find what I'm good at and what I can bring to the table. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this, I hope you can find what your skill set is and realize you see the world differently than other people. And that other people who are smart and brilliant, just like yourself, see things differently than you. And you can find that compatibility. And it's worth putting yourself out there and doing work for free and going to meetings that you didn't think were going to be worth it. It's completely worth it because over time you realize, one, I do believe that I can add value and that in and of itself gives you confidence. Number two, you realize there are a lot of smart people out there and they also want to have you come share what you know with them. And then lastly, it was a big epiphany of you are so much greater when you were trying to solve a problem that is bigger than yourself and that you need to find other people who want to solve that same problem with you. Does that kind of answer your question? It does. It does. And that makes a lot of sense. And so I'm curious, how did you get to forming your company, uh, Comedy? Like, when did you figure out, okay, there is a problem. I know how to solve it. And I can build this company of over 300 comedians and we can help these brands come up with this storyboard and solve this problem of making their content more interesting. Like, how did that even come about? That's I'm very curious to hear this story. Because it's pretty it's a great book. question. It's so it does stem a, and it stems from two sides. So one was I've been building funnels since before click funnels existed. And my friend Steve Larson, he later goes and works for Russell Brunson. He builds 500 funnels for Russell. Uh, him and I had figured out something in college where we realized the sales process online uh, is very difficult with a website. And what you have to do is you have to break things into a very compartmentalized process of you're only going to show one page at a time. You're only going to show one offer and then move people through that process. That was like an initial, what later, six years later ends up being this like we have to take people through a process and that process needs attention first. And if you can get someone's attention, you can then sell them something. But if you don't have their attention, it doesn't matter how good your offer is. It doesn't matter how good your story is. You have to hook them into your world somehow. And so I've been thinking about that for six years. How do you get attention? How do you find ways to get in front of people? Uh, and the comedy special starts to help of realizing, okay, comedians can see things differently, but they're able to share a message in a way that helps to create this attention. People like mm. a lot of videos that go viral are things that are funny. 
things that you can relate to. And so I'm like, those ideas start spinning. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't, like Harmon Brothers, they wrote, uh, they did the commercials for Squatty Potty and Poopery. Some of my favorite ads out there are of what they've done. And then, so I'm like, do I start an agency where I create the ad myself? Like, I'm not really a videographer. I've done it in the past, but it's, it's not really my forte. And so I started kind of molding some ideas. Like, I, I want to help companies get attention and I want to help take people through a sales process. So those are two revolving ideas. In New York City, I started going to these different entrepreneurship groups and events, and I meet the other co-founder of Bonmo. And he's talking about how they're creating this like artificial intelligence to scrape Twitter to help create humorous content for for brands. And I was like, okay, we're we're on like a similar path. Like it was like, so I stayed after and I just kept picking this guy's brain. Like, what are you, how are you doing this? And he was like, we, we're trying to just get funding right now. And I come from the, let's get scrappy. I don't care about funding. I don't care about investors. Let's just start doing something and kind of prove this model. So I take a meeting with him and his other co-founder who Stephanie Hong, she comes back in the story with comedy Mm -hmm. and I'm like fascinated by this concept that they figured out there's a way to use comedy with brands. And I was like, Hey, I'm on the same page with that. And, um, Stephanie, I keep talking. We start going through what are the problems that they're facing with Bonmo and how can I help them? This is part of my free coaching. So I'm just meeting with them. We're going to the WeWorks that they're at and just hopping into new meetings, realizing, hey, you guys are onto something. And I am also realizing I can add value from a marketing perspective. So initially I'm trying to join their company. That was initially it. And uh, the other co-founder stops showing up to some of the meetings. He's doesn't seem as interested in the concepts of it as, as much as both Stephanie was. And then I am to me, this is okay. There's someone else that like thinks this is a good idea. So Stephanie and I just keep meeting and we realize that in order to create the artificial intelligence that would be necessary, you'd have to ask a lot of questions. Computers are pretty dumb. The only way that they get smart is you have to provide the information for it to become relevant. And that was like, okay. If we're going to ask these new questions that we've never asked before, what question, what do we need to know? So we start to realize, okay, the concept of the artificial intelligence is a little flawed, but maybe we can start to do some stuff hands-on. We can start just figuring this process out. So we ended up just starting our own company called Comedy, where we shifted from trying to scrape humorous material to rather, let's go to the comedians, let's start creating relationships with them and getting them to help us create ads and different uh, content and seeing how they actually operate. The big aha moment is I take on a contract for a friend's company of mine who has this little product that slides into your bed. And if you are living in New York City, you don't have space for a nightstand, unfortunately. You've got to you got to scrap all that stuff out, but then you have an unorganized bedside. So you created this product that slides in under your bed called night caddy. And uh, I was helping them get their sales going from a marketing perspective. And I just thought, what if I made a humorous ad? So I hired a comedian and we started writing the script and in four hours, the script came together. And it was like, I have never written a video script that has ever come together in four hours, let alone something that like has some punch to it. So I was going to hire someone else to film it and 
just getting scrappy. I ended up just filming it on my phone. I'm not an actor. I did a couple improv sessions and I like, that was it. I've never directed anything. And so I start trying to direct myself. And in about 10 days, this video comes together and we put it together with a sales funnel and end up doing about $180,000 in sales. And I was like, if a moron like me, who's wow. not funny, not a comedian, not an actor, not a director can write this script that I later look back on. I'm like, that's not that funny. It really isn't. But it got enough attention because it was different than the other ads that are out there. Then anyone could do this. And that was just like, but we have to go. We like, we have to figure out how to do this because if I can do it, we really can help brands who have the money, who people who've directed other comedians, <laughs> who wasn't just like one comedian, more hours put into it, like different creatives going, we could actually make a really big impact. And so the shift of, okay, we can make money, we can sell this concept and we've got 300 comedians that we've created these relationships with, let's hit the ground running. And then COVID hits and it was like, okay, so <laughs> how do we do this? And that, that was when the uh, idea for the podcast came along. What if we start just sharing this and we start interviewing comedians and start interviewing people who've been in this humorous space and getting their takes on how could humor be applied into business? And so the WinWit podcast, that concept came out and I'm excited for it to be released and to share with people like... We've got Pete McGraw, who wrote the book called Shtick to Business. He also traveled the world interviewing so many different cultures of why humor exists in every single culture. Like in Japan, their big thing isn't stand-up comedy. It's two-person duo comedy and doing like sketch comedy. In the jungles of the Amazon, he found people were laughing at very simple things like farts <laughs> and realizing that humor in and of itself is a way for us to connect. And so that was like, we interviewed him and I was like, okay, so humor is a way to connect. It's not just funny. It's not just to sell something, but if a brand is struggling and 2020 showed this, that people could care less about businesses closing down. They were like, lives matter and we need to shut down businesses. And I'm thinking, it, business is people it's built it's just a it's a group of people right. and their lives matter and so we have to humanize brands yeah. we have to help them to show hey we're an organization of humans that have feelings and we have we're right there with you and so that was a, like another highlight okay comedy can help you humanize your brand and help you to show that you find things funny you're not just a stuffy stuck up company um, and then i interviewed a guy named kelly leonard who so fascinating. This guy, he hired Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey to their first improv troupe at Second City. So he's watched these people go from being a nobody to some of the biggest stars in the world. And his take on adding humor into the business world, he said, more people need to be to, to relate. And the way that we can relate is we can make each other laugh. And when we laugh at the same things, we really can bond and connect. And so you can get your customers to connect, but you can also get people of all walks to understand that we're in this together. And this is a way that for us to, to stick out. And there's so many different other interviews that I'm excited to share as that comes out.
Absolutely. Well, there's two things I wanted to touch on. And that's some advice that I got years ago is change before you have to. And I think now more than ever, especially with COVID, a lot of business have had to change and had to pivot and have had to pivot to online or had to pivot their marketing strategy. And so something that you pointed out is the whole idea of like business having to shut down and all of that. And a lot of people are coming from a different lens, depending on what their beliefs are. But one thing that I find very interesting is that, you know, what you said before with humor bringing us together is even from like a spiritual perspective, just to bring it back to that, it lifts our mood. It raises your vibration. Like you can't help but feel better by laughing. You know what I mean? It just makes you feel good versus this sense of being in fear and being depressed and everything is closed. So I love just this whole take of just adding a dash of just lightness to your business. So my next question for you is, what if somebody's listening and they have a more serious brand or what they sell is serious? And especially spirituality in and of itself or meditation tends to be more of a serious subject. How do you go about talking to clients that that sell that? Like, how do you even add humor? Is that appropriate? I'm curious. How yeah. you that. that was a big question I had myself coming into this idea. And it evolves over time and thinking, what about the serious brands? What about the people who are selling something that you would feel as a brand being funny is going to be detrimental to your message. The first thought was there's the insurance companies, right? There's Geico, which came out in 1999 with the gecko. And the reason why they even came out with the gecko was there was an actor strike. And so they actually had to go and create an animation because they couldn't get any actors. And that ended up being a, a mistake that later turns into the most successful ad company or ads for their company. And then if you've noticed from there, Every insurance company has now got, right. you got State Farm and Allstate, and they're all funny, selling the most serious products. You could die. You could have your house broken into. You could like getting in a car accident. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first, okay, so it already exists, and they seem to have figured out how to be serious in it. But then let's go down like the spiritual route. I think... If you take spirituality at its core, it's connecting to something more than yourself and feeling like finding a home for your beliefs. I think that's a a way to say it. (laughs) And when you can be funny and you can show something, you're pointing out the truth. And what makes you laugh is some sort of truth behind it. And so sometimes when we laugh, it's not because we're poking fun at something, but rather we're shedding light on a truth from a different perspective and spirituality is all about truths. And so I think going into that perspective, we don't have to mock spirituality, but rather share the truths of it through a new lens. And that can help us to create that connection. I love that. That's very interesting. I like that a lot. It's very cool. What is the most unique brand you've uh, got to work with? Or I guess, uh, yeah, the most unique or challenging brand that you've had to work with or come up with a storyline for? You know, one of the, the, my favorite parts of this is that I don't have to do it all myself, which is the beauty of 300 different comedians. Cause every one of those different comedians has a different background, a different experience, and they can see life very differently. We've got old comedians, young comedians, women, men, trans, gay, lesbian, straight. And so they see so many different perspectives and then their own individual experiences on top of that. There was a a product that we 
created a script for that was called Hug a Pets. So it was this little stuffed animal mm -hmm. that was going to go into Walmart. And it's basically a stuffed animal with a hole in it. So you can hug it. <laughs> and their target audience was young moms. Now, I, me personally, I'm not, a, so I'm not a comedian. Like I don't, I come from the marketing background, marketing perspective of it. So we hired comedians that were moms and they wrote some of the funniest things that would be funny to me as someone who's not a mom or even a parent, but their perspective of it was so unique. And that, so when we went into it, it was like, oh crap, like this is a, this is a challenge if I were to do it. But by having a wide variety of different comics that ended up not being necessarily a challenge in and of itself, but thinking of it like, how do we find the right fit? And they wrote things that I think are still some of the funniest pieces that I've ever written. The ad, unfortunately, never came through. The company ended up, I think they might not have moved forward with the deal with Walmart. And so they were a little iffy on, it was going to be like a $200,000 ad. And wow. We were on the production side of it. We were just doing the initial scripting of it. And so we were like, it was a little sad not seeing it come true, but I love the, the concepts of taking something that is so outside of our realm, something so simple as a stuffed pet and being able to find ways for moms to relate to other moms on what it's like being a mom and how this little pet could make your life better. Wow. If you had to look back at your journey, especially with your whole marketing background, what is something you wish you knew 10 years ago that you knew now? If you could go back and say, oh, I wish I knew this one thing, what would it be? Wow, that's such a great question. This is a great question. I would say, I wish I took blind faith. Like I wish I had more blind faith into something. I think I overthought so many different ideas. I'd started, so I've started 17 businesses. Most of them are duds. Like 17? Lots wow. of failures, lots of cool experiences. There was one called Trillify. We launched with a girl named Two Turnt Tina, who was like a Vine star at the time. And we did $20,000 on our first day like when we opened up our doors and we had like 50,000 users. We had so many people signing up for our, for this merch site essentially. And within two months, that business idea was dead. So it's crazy. But the other part is I wish I took more action without stepping back and going, oh, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? And I, although starting 17 different businesses sounds like I took action, there are parts like, so my first business, Ample Clothing, I, the only reason why I even started it was we, when we came to, so I'm originally from South Africa, an immigrant. And when we came to America, we had no money at all. And so I knew very early on, if I was going to buy clothes that I wanted or, or get a skateboard or anything, like I was going to have to earn that money myself. And my mom had a little bit of extra cash and she bought me this shirt that wasn't like an overly expensive shirt. And I was so proud of it going to school when I was 15 and someone else on the very first day of school had the same shirt. And I was so thinking, oh my gosh, this shirt's going to make me cool. It's going to make me like stand out. People are going to like it. And someone else had it. And I was so bummed by the idea. And so I started drawing on paper. And then we had this torrented version of Photoshop, like one of the very first early versions of Photoshop from LimeWire. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. The program that gave your computer STDs. Like, 
And so I started trying to figure out Photoshop of taking this drawing and I put it on a shirt. And so I could just be unique and have my own shirt that I thought was cool. Mm -hmm. And I go to school the next day after I I had ironed it on, I'd gone, had my dad drive me to the store and I cut it out and printed it out. Everything. It's hilarious. It's yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to hear your side of it. (laughs) (laughs) So we, I ended up with that and that starts this clothing company called ample clothing where people were like, Hey, that was a cool shirt. I like it. I, where can I get it? I had no idea that I would even start ample clothing. And I got it to this point where it was selling in stores and I'd like convinced people that like actually represented at skate parks. And like, I was going to snowboarding events and like people were recognizing the clothing in and of itself. And, and then one day I just stopped doing it. Why? Dumb. That's the mistake. (laughs) That's the, that was the mistake of sometimes we just stop things that were working and I, we have no idea why we stopped doing those things. So going back 10 years, I would say, I wish I would push further in those moments that were uncomfortable. The moments that I thought I should give up, I wish I pushed a little harder and I wish I put more effort into it. I wish I reached out to more people. I wish I got more validation from outside people or, or something. But that would be the biggest thing because over time, like I recognized, like I did another company called RAR7, which was headwear. So instead of clothing coming out with new concepts for uh, designs, I was like, hey, I'm going to take what I learned from Ample, which was people like the logo and I'm going to put it on a hat because people mm-hmm. wear hats more than shirts. And what I learned from shirts was people wear a shirt maybe once a month. And uh, if they know someone with the same design shirt, they don't buy it. So your customer audience is, is has to be very widespread of who buys the shirts. But with a hat, people will buy hats. They wear hats regularly. They'll wear the same hat almost every single day sometimes. And so I started doing that. And with that, I started doing these world record events. So I like, what if we do like the world's longest slip and slide? I came up with that idea with a buddy of mine, Madsen Walker, and we got these billboards. So old or misprinted billboards go to like a junkyard essentially. And what you can do is you can slide on these billboards. So we got like 10 of them. We pieced them all together and we put them on a hill, had no idea we needed an event reservation or like uh, a permit and we <laughs> broke into the sprinkler system we just started putting it in this park and we just invited whoever we wanted like 400 people showed up to this event and i just was wrapping the raw seven so that started selling the hats and then one day i just stopped doing that craziest thing it was like paying for my college tuition i was being able to like pay for housing and then one day i just stopped doing it so Dumb things, really dumb things. I think looking back, just stop stopping and stop giving up. And just keep going. In hindsight, do you think you were able to figure out why you stopped? Do you think you were just no longer excited about it? Was it maybe not your true passion? Or I'm curious to hear any insights now looking back. That's a great question. I'd say, yeah, probably lack of interest. The clothing was one that I was like, okay, I like this, but I, I don't. it's not bringing me as much joy as I wanted it to. I also think some things I fell into, an opportunity came up and I then stopped doing the thing. So RAR7, I stopped doing because I was doing these events with a a company called Uprising Events. So I was running their marketing and we were getting people like Macklemore and American Authors and we would divvy out squirt guns. So we'd fill squirt guns full of paint. And this is not, it wasn't my business. It was someone else's. And but I was at the top and being able to see like how these guys ran their business. And I was so excited to like 
I've done these other events and now I get to see like how to do large events where they were doing like five to 10,000 person events. And I think I lost interest in RAR 7 because of that. And then with Ample Clothing, I think, I don't know, I was like 16 when it like really started. And then I was 18 when I just walked away from it. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think probably just lack of interest. And sometimes I think we question our own abilities. Like I'm not a graphic designer, but I could get far enough of designing these shirts and being able to present it out there. But when you're doing the design and you're also doing the selling, you're also like trying to find new ways to get your merch out there and you're doing all of it, all of it suddenly becomes overwhelming. And so you just step back from it completely. And that's, I think the same thing that happened with patient rainmakers. Like we were making money, but I'm doing the marketing. I had started conversion marketing radios, the podcast behind it, also helping on the back end of fulfillment with the clients. And so all of that eventually becomes overwhelming. And I think because of it, you get stressed. And so you remove yourself from that stress. At least for me, that's what that felt like, which isn't a good sign. That's where I later end up in this depression where I felt like I was quitting so many things. Like I had started something and grown it to a point that it could be deemed a success. And then as soon as it became so much pressure and became to be overwhelming in my life, I think that's when I just stepped away from it. But then in running and not quitting, that was this like, okay, you're not going to just walk away from the next thing. So whatever you do next, make sure it's the thing that you really want to do because you're not walking away from it when things get hard and stressful and it's not going every day the way that you want it to. And that was a big realization of that. I'd quit a lot of things that were good and just didn't want to handle the stress of it when I should have leaned in even harder. It's pretty incredible just hearing your story. There's just a lot of self-sabotage is what I hear. And that's something I, I used to be very guilty of. And it's crazy because when you're in the thick of it, you don't see it until much later. And so it's very interesting that you're sharing this and it's a lot of repeated patterns. So, so it seems, especially when you shared before, I wanted to make a million dollars, that was never actually what was going to motivate you because you've made successful businesses in the past. That was actually never the issue. The issue was you weren't doing what was filling your cup. You weren't actually pursuing your passion because then you're telling me you're coaching people for free and you're excited and you're like, wow, look, I'm with these people that share the same mindset as me and are in alignment with my vision. And you're going to these meetings and you're doing it at no cost when you started all of these other businesses that in regular people's eyes would be a success and we're making you money. Now you're sharing this story. As an outsider watching, I'm just like, you were like just self-sabotaging these potential million dollar businesses because you simply weren't doing what, were, what was making you happy. So it's just very interesting how it all led you to doing what brings you joy. Yeah. I, I love that you nailed it. You like, you really nailed it. It's self-sabotage. I feel like obviously guilty of it as I'm sharing these stories, but I realize a lot of us have that. A lot of us are... We question our idea if it's good enough. Oh, I've got an idea, but it's stupid. It's a dumb idea. And I don't think I should put the time into starting it. Or what if my idea fails and it sucks? And so we people don't even start. I, I didn't necessarily have the problem of not starting something. I would start it and get really excited about it for like a year. And then after that, it was like, this is not what I anticipated. And so then I started going, okay, this is a dumb idea. And it's, 
I would start finding justification and reasons to walk away from it. And I think a lot of the time, like we do this in relationships, we do this with business, we do this with our careers. We like get to a point where it's no longer interesting or exciting. And we start to try sabotaging ourselves of whatever it is, whether we don't start it or we did start it and we don't want to do it. Or sometimes you do it and you grow it and then you go, I, this isn't me. You come up with some sort of excuse. And I think a lot, either there's good to it. You figure out what you don't want to do, which I studied two years of accounting, my first two years of college. And that was like, look, if I never do accounting for the rest of my life, that's a good thing. I will be happy not doing accounting. And so I do say you start your thing, start, try your stuff. And then I'd also say sometimes there's a dip, right? Seth Godin wrote a book called The Dip where that was also one of the, so I read that book during that depressive spat. And that was like the first part of it. I've just hit my dips every time. And before I got out of my dip, before I like pushed in through this next part, I stopped. I just walked away from it. And I think sometimes what causes us to go into the dip is not just the business itself or, or starting the thing, but we really do just, we get inside of our own heads. And the way that I was able to actually overcome that was a morning routine. So every day I realized, okay, if I do the same things leading into my day, like I felt like a train, I was like, okay, my train, it starts off slow and it starts to pick up speed. So I don't actually start working until 11 o'clock and I'll end work at eight o'clock. That's my like window, but I'll wake up at six 30. And then the first thing is I, I do is I, my morning papers, which is like stream of consciousness for 45 minutes. And you force yourself, if you've got nothing to write about, I'll literally write, I have nothing to write about today. And then I'll go. And the reason why I have nothing to write about is because I, and like, you just keep writing, you force yourself to write. And what happens is like, you start to get anxiety and depression, things that those voices, those demons inside your head, they come out and they come out in new ways. Then I'll meditate and then I'll eat something. I'll try to eat like some protein in the morning, stay away from carbs. And then I'll shower. And every day I take a cold shower. And the reason why I take a cold shower is because it sucks every day. It never gets easier. I picked up on it from Tom Bilyeu who said, look, you have to do something that sucks every single day because it trains your mind of saying, okay, when something shitty comes your way, you have already done something shitty and you can overcome it. So Every day I hate, like I'll take like a normal shower for the first seven minutes. And then the last three minutes I'll switch it to cold and I hate it every day. And every day it's a reminder of you can do hard things because look at this moment that you're going through. So then after that, I will come and I'll do like a morning, like a planning. So like, here's the things that I want to get done. So here's my top three tasks. If I do these three tasks, I will feel good. If I do nothing else besides these, these three things. And then by that time, it's actually lunch. So that's, I'll eat lunch again, and then uh, start my day. Wow. I may have to implement the cold shower. You are, I've heard this time and time again. I really don't want to, but yeah, I guess I will. Yeah, it's a way to do something that sucks. I know. That's quick. And that never, like, it doesn't get easier. So like, I work out every day. I'll either go for a run, some sort of like 30 to 30 minutes, like an hour workout. And over time though, like it's not as hard, like going to the gym or doing pushups in the living room, like that becomes a habit, but a cold shower, there's something about it that like 
believe it's good for your body as well. Yeah, there's something. Yeah, there's. I, I've heard the biological efforts of it, or the the rewards of it. But mentally, it really doesn't get easier. It's not something that you go, okay, well, I did it yesterday, and I've done it. I've done it every day except for Christmas, Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, for the last two years, and it's never gotten easier. Wow. Goodness, we're about to wrap up our interview soon, but. I'm curious to ask you, what is a mistake in your life that you feel grateful for? Because I remember you you talked about gratitude and often we are not grateful for the bad things in our lives. But I, I spent a lot of time ref doing reflection during the holidays. Unfortunately, I couldn't spend it with my family. I really took that time to, to go inward and to sit with my feelings. And I you know, was like, okay, I'm not going to distract. I'm going to sit with my feelings. That's the way you process. And so when I went through a lot of self-reflection, I found myself finding gratitude for all of the things that kind of went wrong. Cause I'm a big believer, you know, it brings you to where you are today and without the mistakes, you're not going to be able to learn from the things that went wrong. It's hard to pick one. There's, <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Messed up a lot of things. I'd say I used to compare myself a lot to people and it's not a single mistake. It was, a, it's a reoccurring mistake. <laughs> My good friend, Steve Larson, we were in college together. We convinced our teachers to let us out of class and for us to go and work on these funnels. We, we didn't know that they were called funnels, but we told our teachers that we would learn more out of class than we would learn in, in class. <laughs> and they actually let us do it. That's the craziest part. They gave us good grades for doing it. And he went on and he worked at ClickFunnels and I watched his success just blow up. Like he became a multi, multi-millionaire. And I looked at his life. We were there together in college. And then six years later, he's running a very successful business. He left ClickFunnels. He had a lot of successes within ClickFunnels. He helped build the one funnel away challenge. And I compared myself like for too long. Part of that depressive spat was that switch of, hey, you got to stop. Your life is different than his and your challenges are different than his. But that was one for years that I held on to. And that was a mistake that I think a lot of us do is we find someone that we should be like, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm good. I'm as good as this person. Why is my life not as good as theirs? And that mistake I would say is very costly to us personally, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I went through it and I'm glad I recognized that was a mistake that I was going through. Cause I think if I didn't have that highlight of you've you have your own life to live and you have a path that you have to blaze forward yourself. And some people's paths are just different than yours. It's not like they're better or harder or easier, or more challenging, whatever it is. It's just different. That mistake I would say has led me later to realizing that you do have to find your own happiness and you have to be your own self. And the one thing I would love to leave with people is that I heard this quote from Will Smith that said, you have to make sure that every day, you lay your brick, you have one brick and you lay that brick down the best you can. And you're not worried about the whole wall and you're not worried about other people's walls. And you're not worried about the size of other people's bricks. And you're not worried about what cement that they're using. All you're doing is you're taking your brick and you're saying, what's the best way that I could lay this brick down? And you don't worry about the wall that you've already built and you don't dream, like you can dream about the wall you're building, but don't get hung up on how far you're built, your wall is built. And it stuck with me. And that's the one thing that I love passing on to other people is that you have a brick, you have your day. Today is a day that you have your brick. 
And all you should focus on is how do I lay this brick down the best that I can? And then over time, you'll see a wall being built. And you'll also write out your three-year and your five-year and 10-year goals. And you'll realize that part of it, the only way you're able to get there is because of every day you lay down a new brick. I love that. That's amazing. So with that, are those your words of wisdom that you want to leave our audience with? If not, I would love to, to ask you, what is some life advice that you've heard that's guided you to where you are today? Yeah, I'd say the brick. That's definitely one. I'd say learn from others. Read. Pick up on mistakes other people have made and try to avoid those mistakes if as best as you can. I So I found out at 26, I had dyslexia. Like I'd gone all through school and I had wow. no one had ever been like, hey, when you read out loud, you skip a lot of sentences and you replace words that aren't in the sentences. And I was studying for the GMATs. I was trying to go to get an MBA. And I was like, I had a, I hired a coach and the coach was like, hey, you should really look into dyslexia. Like, you might have something. And I was like, that shattered my world. Like, I was like, what? From I I'd always picked up on audiobooks. And so audiobooks I just resonated with. I could just put it on and go for a walk and I connect with it. But like reading itself was so hard. And so find a thing of how you can learn from other people, whether it is if you're good at reading, great. Audiobooks, podcasts, interviews. But other people have life experiences that you don't have. And it's just as valuable. So right back to that very first part of what I'd said of there's seven and a half billion people on this planet and they all know at least just one thing that you don't, they might know more, but they at least know one. And there might be some overlap of what people with that one thing could be, but just recognize that you don't know everything, but you can know enough by listening and learning from other people. So making that a priority, I would say you can fast forward a lot of mistakes in life by just hearing of other people's mistakes. I love that. And in addition to books and audiobooks, you can also listen to your podcast. I'm sure you have tons and tons of gems. So one of the podcasts you host is Conversion Marketing Radio. If you can tell everybody a little bit about that, that way they can listen and follow and subscribe. I know you have an Instagram as well at Ben L. Wilson with two L's. But yeah, tell everybody a little bit about your podcast and then we'll talk about your upcoming podcast as well. Oh, fantastic. So Conversion Marketing Radio was one that I set out to just share what I was learning from marketing and being able to find my voice. That was the entire purpose of I've, I've just got to start talking. And I think a lot of people, if you've ever wondered about starting a podcast, don't question it. Just start talking into a microphone. I recorded 10 episodes and deleted 10 episodes before I ever published one. Don't make that mistake. Let people know you're human. I stuttered probably every third word of my first 10 episodes. I would write it out verbatim and I would try to read it, right? Dyslexia coming back into play. It was like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so bad. But Conversion Marketing Radio was the, it's an opportunity to share what I know about direct response marketing. What's the marketing that actually works? There's a lot of different advice out there and I've learned a lot of different things, but at the same time, also interviewed people. What have they learned? What mistakes have they made in what kind of message do you put out there? How do you actually resonate with an audience? And then how do you get them to not just hear your thing, but to convert? So if you think of it like a religion, it's not just you can go talk to someone and be like, hey, we have this religion over here, and they're just going to believe it. There are methods 
of belief. And we can believe anything when you follow certain methods. And so I was trying to figure out what are those sequences that you can create in people's lives that allow them to convert to your business and to your ideology and your what you put out there. Makes a lot of sense. You can use that formula for anything. So I love there's that. There's a science, right? There's, a, there's an art and then there's a science. And the art is comes down to you as the artist, the person putting out that content. But there's also a science like humans have been around for long time. We're basically the same people. The way that we think is very similar to the way that our ancestors thought. And we have very similar problems. And so over time, there's been very smart people before us who figured out, hey, there's like a method of how to do this. And then you add in your art on top of it. And so something to go back to, which I think a lot of people lose sight of is you can build, like what you said, you can have an amazing product. You can be an amazing coach. You can build this amazing funnel, but if the copy isn't great, and if you don't have something that's going to grab their attention, no one's going to no one's going to click on it. So that's a very valuable point that I think a lot of people probably don't uh, recognize. So yeah, pretty websites don't sell. That's a, that was a hard coming from like designing clothes and like designing things. I was really horrible at copywriting. And that was the one part. Russell Brunson is the one who said that of pretty websites don't sell. And that shattered my entire world of, okay, so I'm focusing on the wrong things here and I should be focusing on what words resonate with people and, and really some words attach themselves to you and, and other words bounce right off and how to find those words. Yeah, for sure. I mean, something I'm starting to really absorb now, cause that's really where I'm at in my career is that my opinion doesn't matter. And I'm an artist first. And so as an artist, you want to focus on the colors and, Ooh, this looks pretty. And I want that. And this It's like, yeah, what you like, doesn't matter what's going to convert just like you said. And so I'm starting to realize that none of that matters. Let's do the actual market research. So I'm excited to dive into your podcast as well. So cool. And then I definitely want to talk about your upcoming podcast, win with wit, and you have a co-host as well. So let's talk about that. And then as well, your company and how people can get in touch with you in case they're interested in hiring you for consulting and getting their brand from boring to interesting. <laughs> You're too kind. I appreciate it. Win With Wit is that podcast I was talking about earlier of interviewing comedians. We've got people who have been in the, the humor business space, like Pete McGraw, Kenny Leonard, and Libera, very smart people. And so it's very interview base. Conversion Marketing Radio, I do a lot of the episodes myself, but with Win With Wit, I am I'm a monkey. I'm a chimp on this one. So I'm just learning from what other people are saying. They're also comedians have very unique perspectives on the same things that we also talk and think about, but the way that they phrase it helps you to see in a very new light. And so check out win with wit. You'll learn a lot about not just business or marketing from that perspective, but how they think and how they shift and reverse a topic. And so to get it's like squeezing an orange, like you can keep squeezing it, but if you do something with the orange and you put something else in it, you can get so much more juice out of it. And comedians uh, do that. And so that's been very eye opening, and that's connected to comedy. So Stephanie Hong, she's my co-host. She's also my co-founder. She's the CEO and I call myself the chief troublemaker. <laughs> that seems to be what I do most at comedy. What we do is we help brands get their voice out there. And if you're a boring brand, or if you feel like your message isn't resonating with 
customers, even if it's not funny, even if the end result isn't to, to be funny, comedians have a very unique way of being creative. So if you want to learn how to get and to think more creatively, you have to exercise that muscle and what comedians have done for their career, what they have gone to school with, right? Their school of hard knocks is learning to exercise that creative muscle and to take a message and to test it in front of an audience. This is what they do. So just like a marketer where you take a message and you test it in front of an audience, this is what these guys have done as their career, but night after night with a new audience. And so they know how to shape words and sentences in ways that the rest of us don't haven't exercised that same muscle. So that's a stand-up comedian. Uh, an improv comedian we use for coming up with ideas. So because of the creative muscle that they use in constantly thinking of new scenes and new topics to come up with on the spot, their creative muscle has been very exercised in coming up with, oh, this could work and this could work and this can piece together with this. And so instead of coming up with two or three ideas yourself, you can hire an improv comedian to come up with hundreds and hundreds of ideas. And although they may not all be good, you can really distill down the best ones quicker. And then lastly, we've got sketch comedians. These are people who've been on Saturday Night Live. They've written for comedy shows. They've been on late night shows. They're writers for that. And they're coming up with how to craft the visual aspects of it, how to get someone to see what you have, but also to resonate another story that's revolving around the words and what's being said. And so when you hire all three of them, that's what we call a comedy cohort, is you can have someone who's thinking of it visually, someone who's coming up with lots of ideas, and someone who has the words to really bring it all together. And so hire a comedy team if you really want to get the most out of your business and be able to resonate with your customers. Gotcha. So I was browsing a little bit on the website. So maybe somebody's listening to this episode and I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting, but what exactly is included? So I would love for you to touch on that. I was skimming through and I know you guys do some content for social media. Can you touch on that a little bit just so people know and uh, get an idea of what those services yeah. are? So there is a wide range. That's the one part with comedy that we're figuring out is we've done work with Phillips and helping write content for an MRI machine. We've done work with MetLife and helping them to craft something for their internal team. So there's content that can be created. What we are seeing a, a good benefit for companies is writing tweets, just putting stuff out there onto social media. So it could be tweets, could be memes. And we have a cheap starting price. So if you want to just test it, we call them samples. So for 500 bucks, you can get 10 tweets. You could get a 30 second video script written. You can get a blog post written. So you can start out and see how does this work? How do I actually hire a comedian? And then it scales up. So we've got, you can hire comedians for, we have price packages of starting at 2,500 for golly, I'm blanking on the amount of hours you get. I think it's 10 hours of each comedian. And so that way you're able to if you're working as you grow in your project, you might need two hours up front and then another four hours later, and then to shape it as the content is coming out again. So we sell the whole package of here's what you're going to get and how to use it along the way. So test this out on if you want to make some tweets or memes, or if you have a project in mind, we can, we have different packages for how many hours it might look like. Gotcha. So they can pretty much create a storyboard custom to your brand. Exactly. Yes. 
Love that. That's so cool. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on uh, Vibe Talk Awaken. I absolutely appreciate you coming on here and just sharing your story and just being vulnerable and opening up. Any other things you want to plug before we we log off? Join Clubhouse. <laughs> I love you. You will have awesome conversations like this when you meet really cool people in small rooms. Join the small rooms. Don't worry about the big ones. Exactly. That would definitely be my advice as well. I feel like the big rooms are so overwhelming and it's just, you don't even get a chance to speak. So I think the small rooms is where it's at. Thank you again. Everybody go check out comedy. That's K-O-M-E-D-Y.io. Definitely check it out. I appreciate you, Ben, and um, certain we'll stay in touch. And I'm excited to hire your team down the line once I'm in a position to grow my brand and uh, add some humor. So I'm very excited and I appreciate it. I'm excited it. for you to get there and it's such a journey. So keep me in contact as you keep growing obviously we'll do that as we each keep growing so it'll be great absolutely thank you again we'll talk soon thank you appreciate it bye bye thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed today's episode please leave a review on apple Podcasts. Um, if you take a screenshot and tag me and share it on instagram at vibe talk awaken um, i'll send you 50 percent off a moon vibe box which is a spiritual kit that i put together with everything you need to set intentions and manifest the life that you want um, it has a variety of different items there's palo santo sage different crystals selenite amethyst uh, there's also a crystal cleansing spray uh, which is charged under the full moon uh, so anytime you get crystals it's always important to kind of cleanse the energy around it um, there's also a hand poured candle it's coconut wax um, it's a collaboration i did with a small business owner she also uh, made some handmade bath bombs there's a handwritten affirmation card so just a lot of good stuff in there to set the vibe cleanse your space which is great right before you meditate um, or if you have like a new moon or full moon ritual to kind of cleanse the space that you live in um, so it's just my way of saying thank you for listening to the show and for leaving a review and uh, i appreciate you sending you all so much love until next time and uh yeah talk to you soon take care